Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for joining us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out. If you're a commercial real estate agent, is it the best commercial agent training you've ever seen in your life? I guarantee it. Check it out. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, today we're going to talk about something a little different for, the, for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We're going to talk about homes. We're going to talk about single family rentals, right? That's been a big business since the Great Recession has, has really grown uh, with build to rent uh, big subdivisions with a lot of home, uh, with a lot of private investors uh, buying single family homes and renting them. And also institutional investors have really gotten into the mix. Um, how does that market look? You know, we've had a, a great appreciation in homes over the last several years. What do we expect moving forward? How might that impact the home rental business and how are things performing now as the apartment market uh, rental growth has slowed down what are we seeing for the home rental market what do we expect moving forward in this market well let's find out please welcome my guest it's Emregard Jaber as she is senior economist with Moody's Analytics Emregard thanks for joining us thank you very much for having me Michael and you guys track a lot of different property types and sectors and uh, this is kind of uh, new for you guys right it is new for us, yes. Uh, we've been looking at single-family rentals, um, the, the universe, really, of, of the space over the past six months or so now. Yeah, and the institutional owners have really gotten into the mix here, right? Absolutely, yes. Uh, institutional ownership has been around now for about 10 years, and as you mentioned, it really stemmed uh, from the great financial crisis. So if we go back to uh, the GFC 2007-2008, uh, it wasn't that long ago, so I'm sure uh, the audience doesn't need a very detailed refresher, but, but just for a little bit of context, uh, as individual owners started to experience uh, foreclosures, uh, trusts and REOs that owned um, the mortgages started to see a huge amount of properties on their books. And of course, they're not in the business of owning and operating real estate. They're in the business of lending. And so this environment really provided an opportunity for well-capitalized institutional players who were essentially in the right place at the right time to step into the market and purchase portfolios of single-family rentals in bulk. And this was really what made uh, the big institutional players that we're familiar with today, Invitation Homes, which stemmed out of Blackstone, uh, American Homes for Rent, uh, Tricon Residential, which is another REIT that operates heavily in the single-family rental market here in the U.S., but they're Canadian-based. Uh, it really allowed them to uh, step into this space and it gave them a tremendous first mover advantage because they were able to purchase these tremendously large portfolios of thousands of properties in a given metro uh, 
and because of these bulk purchases, they were able to scale their operations and make the ownership of single-family rentals uh, extremely profitable for themselves. And uh, through this economy of scale, they were they continue to be able to get favorable pricing on things like maintenance costs, materials for upkeep of the properties, uh, property management costs, and and related costs to maintaining portfolios. Yeah, and, and REITs are in the picture too. So how many uh, single-family rental homes do, do REITs uh, control? Right. So the REITs themselves have about 160,000 uh, between those three publicly traded REITs that I mentioned earlier, they have about 160,000 properties uh, that they own. Uh, the figure is interesting, though, because even though REITs unequivocally have been net acquirers uh, over the past decade uh, plus, really since 2012 when when uh, they, they were established uh, in the single-family rental space, uh, they are actually quite sensitive to market conditions. So to uh, the macroeconomic conditions, uh, the the cost of, of, of purchasing, the cost of capital, uh, they don't just buy and hold for, for the sake of it. And actually this past year in 2022, uh, we saw their holdings decrease a little bit uh, on a quarter over quarter basis. Granted, uh, you know, divesting a thousand properties isn't isn't necessarily huge for them or or for the uh, general single family uh, purchase market, but it still speaks to the fact that they aren't just buying and holding for the sake of it. They're very much looking uh, at the bottom line, at their at their profit margins, and and uh, divesting from properties that are no longer profitable for them. Yeah. And I've seen uh, residential agents and, and residential home buyers complain at times about the amount of institutional equity out there chasing deals, when that, especially when the housing market was, was really hot. You know, how much have the investment market in these single family homes impacted home ownership in the U.S.? They have in terms of perception. But in reality, uh, the the data is showing us something completely different. So if we look at the homeownership rate uh, over the past uh, 50 plus years, it's oscillated pretty steadily between the low 60s and just shy of 70% homeownership in the country. Of course, it, it peaked near 70% uh, in the uh, middle of the first decade of, of the 2000s. Uh, that of course can be perhaps looked upon as being an artificially high home ownership rate, uh, because so many people during that time were given mortgages that they perhaps couldn't afford. And so subprime lending definitely helped push up the home ownership rate. But if we look at where we are now, uh, in terms of home ownership, we're right around 66%. And if we look at the long-term average, that is roughly the, the long-term average. So we're not necessarily in a bad position uh, from that perspective. Of course, if you think of population growth in the country over these past 50 years, it, it has exploded. So obviously the number of people 
who are renting has grown, but the share of renters to owners has remained more or less the same uh, over these past several decades. That's interesting. And of course, the apartment market, rental market has seen a great uh, rate growth um, and great demand uh, for the last several years. But as we all know in the business, the, the apartment rental market is starting to see lower uh, rent increases, starting to see a little more vacancy in some markets. How is the single-family home rental market uh, been been performing, and, and what do you see now and expect moving forward for a rental performance of these of this class of property? So the single-family rental market, uh, at least as owned by institutional owners, continues to perform quite strongly. Uh, their quarterly rental growth the last several quarters has been right around 2%, uh, some quarters a little bit more, some quarters a little bit less. Uh, they have extremely healthy uh, occupancy rates in, in the high 90%. Uh, so vacancy is quite low. There's definitely demand for single-family rentals. Uh, and it's important to note that there isn't necessarily a, a direct correlation in substitution between uh, apartment rentals and single-family rentals. Usually the tenant profiles are quite quite different um, in terms of age, in terms of uh, location choice, uh, desire to be close to, to jobs. Um, single-family renters tend to be uh, a little bit older with children, uh, generally uh, households who can't necessarily get on the property market. Uh, just yet. So they choose single family rentals based on proximity to good school districts, for example. And so that's definitely buoyed uh, the single family uh, rental market. Yeah. And it would seem from the outside looking in that COVID uh, may have helped the single family rental market, right? Where people don't want to be in a dense environment around a lot of other tenants potentially. And also maybe they were able to uh, work at home and, and needed a, a bigger place there. Has, has did that have did reality have an impact on it? And if it did, what do you expect moving forward? Because some of that demand dissipates somewhat. So, so we have seen that demand dissipate somewhat already as people have returned to urban cores. Uh, but as I said earlier, really the the tenant profile uh, varies uh, quite a bit, and so. Those who choose to live uh, in central business districts, for example, are not the same people who will necessarily choose to live uh, in single-family rental homes that tend to be farther away from from the urban core. Uh, if if we think about CBD absorption of apartments, uh, we we do see that there is a, a relationship. So uh, when there is higher um, higher absorption in, in the CBD for, for rental apartments, uh, home ownership actually um, decreases. It's, it's not a statistically significant relationship, but it does have that, that inverse relationship. Uh, and now more than ever, we can think of single family uh, rentals as a substitute for uh, home ownership affordability or the lack thereof. It's interesting. So it sounds like it, uh, the single-family home rental market is more of an impact um, on the single-family values and ownership 
but that, at some point you're telling me it looks like it's in, in most cases kind of a different tenant. So is it, does the single family home rental market impact the apartment market performance? It does to the extent that all rental properties are impacted, but it doesn't necessarily uh, serve as a direct one-to-one substitute. So it's not that people are necessarily choosing between an apartment and a single family rental. However, where that does change a little bit is in the uh, build to rent space. So um, thus far, I've been discussing uh, single family rentals from the perspective of uh, housing that came from the existing stock of one unit detached properties. But if we look at the build to rent space, they are essentially horizontal multifamily. So they provide not only newer construction than a traditional single family rental that's just in an existing neighborhood, uh, but they also provide a, a variety of amenities that do match amenities that are typically seen in in uh, many, many multifamily developments. So swimming pool, clubhouse, uh, other other conveniences that that multifamily, that traditional vertical multifamily apartments provide. Okay. And um, the residential home market, the all us all us all us homeowners and investors own single family homes have seen tremendous appreciation over the last many, many years, right? Maybe 10 years, I guess, or 12 years. But now uh, we're starting to see uh, some leveling off of, of home values uh, with these really huge spikes in interest rates the Fed has uh, presented us with. Um, so what do you expect moving forward now for, for these REITs and these institutional investors and, and other investors of single-family homes as far as appreciation moving forward? I know it's a bit of a crystal ball question, but, but what do you see from your perspective? So if we think about it from an affordability perspective, um, both for a potential owner-occupier and for an institutional investor, uh, we need to think of how quickly homes have appreciated over the past several years. I mean, just in the past year, 2022, uh, home price appreciation topped 10% on a year-over-year basis. So... That's definitely one aspect of the uh, affordability profile. But if we look at the uh, income to to home ownership uh, to home price uh, ratio, or rather the home price to income ratio uh, from the perspective of affordability for a, an individual homeowner, uh, that ratio has increased quite substantially over the past uh, decade, but also over the past uh, 40 years. So if we look back to the 1980s, interest rates were quite high. Mortgage rates were high, and they were much higher than they are now. One of the crucial differences is that the ratio of, of home value to income, median income, was much lower. Uh, at some points, it was even below a three-to-one ratio. Um, it's now consistently, over these 40 years that I'm describing, uh, increased. And actually, for the first time 
uh, ever, uh, it topped uh, a six to one. Uh, and that was this past year. So, so interest rates are one aspect. They're not the only aspect to look at when considering affordability from the homeowner's side. And of course, from the investor's side, uh, obviously capital has become more expensive with with higher interest rates. And so what the REITs are really looking for now is better quality properties. So they're, they're likely divesting uh, the lower performing properties. Uh, and this isn't just REITs, but institutional ownership in general, whether it's, you know, private equity, um, privately traded REITs and so forth. Um, they're divesting the properties that are not performing as well. They're perhaps buying properties that are more expensive uh, at, at a lower at a lower cap rate. However, the maintenance costs end up being significantly lower. And so that is a better business decision for them in the long run because they're able to save on capital expenditures. If you were to project single family home value appreciation over the next couple of years with these skyrocketing rates and what's going on in the economy, what would you suggest that we might see? We are in a situation where there is still extremely strong demand. And aside from strong demand, there's very limited supply. If we look at construction of uh, new single family homes over the past decade, it was at record lows. Uh, historically. So looking back, you know, 50 years construction this past decade has been extremely low. As I mentioned earlier, the population continues to grow. So there's still definitely a desire to fulfill that American dream of home ownership. But supply is so tight and is expected to remain relatively tight uh, in the near term because of the cost of construction, because of the uh, labor labor constraints um, and so forth, that really what we're seeing is that this relative dearth of supply is going to really buoy the single-family housing market uh, for, for some time to come. So I would assume that you expect uh, less transaction volume in the residential market. Would that be a true statement? So traditional economics would suggest lower transaction volumes. However, that's not necessarily been the case in practice. And of course, this is very much a bet metro by metro um, specific uh, situation, really. But the reality is that people are still transacting despite higher interest rates, despite uh, home price appreciation. And really, a lot of that is driven by dynamics that we saw in, in the early 2000s, where people, individual home buyers, saw values going up, saw interest rates relatively high, and as compared to you know, the past 10, 15 years, not high historically. Uh, and so they were quick to move into the market driving up prices further um, and further fueling the bubble. Now, that's not to say that we're currently in, in a bubble uh, environment, 
because as I said, uh, construction for uh, new single family homes still remains extremely low. Um, and at the same time, the types of homes being built are not uh, necessarily at price points that uh, entry level buyers can afford to get on a property ladder. Yeah, interesting. Well, what would you leave our audience with uh, in regard to the think about for the single family home rental market moving forward? I would say that in relation to home ownership, uh, institutional ownership has been very much vilified in the single family rental market. And they're not the cause of why perhaps there are affordability issues. They arose from the GFC, from, as I said earlier, you know, sort of being in the right place at the right time. Uh, they're, they are, they're certainly not the cause of, of affordability crunches. All right. Well, great. Well, it sounds like the outlook is still pretty strong, uh, pretty good for this uh, sector. And thank you guys uh, in regard for, for now tracking this like you do so well with all the other sectors. And thanks uh, for being on the show. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for joining us around the country. Please let us know what you think. If you'd like to buy or sell packages of homes, let me know. We'll uh, get you to the right group to help you out there. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.